Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. It's the ContenderCast. It's Justin Hahnemann. We're shining a light on bright ideas. And today, if you like sangria, you are going to love this conversation. I am thirsty already. It's 95 degrees here in Atlanta. And after this podcast, I'm going to get me some sangria. But on the podcast today is Larry Margolis. He is the partner and COO of Beso de Sol Sangria. Larry, it's awesome to have you on the podcast. Oh, thanks, Justin. I'm very excited to be on the podcast and tell my story. Yeah, I love it. I love your story. I'm excited about your product. A lot of our listeners are in the beverage and consumer product space, so I think it's just going to resonate so well. But talk about Beso del Sol and how you guys got started back in 2013. Well, uh, just to give you a little bit about my history, I've been in the wine and spirits industry for close to four decades. August will actually be four decades. I, I started as a salesman up in upstate New York uh, with a local distributor. Then I moved on as a on-premise sales manager and became the GM of a distributor up in upstate New York. Got it. And then I ended up in in South Florida at Southern Wine and Spirits. Ah, the Southern Glazers now. Vice President, yeah. General Sales Manager for the Miami Division wow. for over 17 years. Wow. Now it's and Southern Glazers, right? Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Now it's Southern Glazers, correct. They went through the merger. Yeah. Uh, so back in 2013, one of my supplier uh, uh, friends that uh, I had a relationship with for a long time uh, came to me and he said he was a broker supplier. He said, uh, why don't you resign your position? You know, you've been killing yourself here for 17 years. <laughs> and basically, we'll, uh, we'll start a company and we'll be brokers, uh, you know, in the country. You know, nobody else does that. And I basically said, I think you're crazy. I make a lot of money here. But, uh, you know, my kids are grown. Uh, it's just my wife and myself and our little dog. My kids are all out of the house. So I thought about it for a little while and I was able to save a few bucks, you know, along the way. And I decided to do it. I, there was a change in uh, leadership at, uh, at Southern. And I basically resigned my position. I was the second in command. And uh, my partner, Brad Levitan, and I, we, uh, we started a brokerage. And uh, we were basically brokering some wine and spirit brands, mostly up and down the East Coast in about 12 to 15 states. And basically what a broker is, is a broker uh, is somebody that a, uh, a wine or spirit company will hire to kind of manage their brand with a, with a distributor because they don't have the capital or the manpower to put their own people out on the street. So we basically did that for, I would say, uh, about eight months. And we were on our way to actually meet a uh, European wine supplier in Miami. We had a meeting with him. And on our way, we got a call from the Worldwide Beverage Director of Disney. (laughs) <laughs> and he said, uh, which we had a relationship with. Sure, sure. He said, look, if, if you guys can create a sangria that tastes better than what I'm using, he said, I'll present it to the board. But I want a wow. large format. Wow. So we spoke to our European wine supplier about it. And he said, well, we can do that. So about three weeks later, we uh, hopped on a plane to Spain. He took us to five wineries. We created our own formula for the sangria, 
They made the samples. They sent them to Disney. The 15 wine sommeliers at Disney sat around the table. They blind tasted seven sangrias. And we won 15 to nothing. Wow. So, Amazing. That, that basically was, was the start of the brand. And, wow. you know, we won 15 to nothing. And up from under the table came a three liter bag in the box. So <laughs> I know. Yeah. All right. Well, so you have hit a lot of key points here. I, I don't want to just rush past. So number one, not everyone listening understands the distribution model for wine and spirits in North America. So talk about... The three-tier system. I think it would be interesting just to share that model. Okay. Well, I, I've seen a lot of evolution in the three-tier system, being that I've been in the business for almost 40 years. Uh, the uh, You have to have, there, there's three parts. There's a supplier slash uh, producer, there's the distributor, and there's retail. So you have to have a middle guy. And basically, the middle guys used to be brand builders, you know, they were always were hungry to get new brands. But back 15 years ago, there was 7,000 distributors. Today, there's 500. So, you know, there's been a lot of consolidation, you know, within the distributors. And it's hard to, to get your attention and focus from the distributor, you know, unless you're kind of in their face, you know, every day. And, and it still makes it kind of tough. So it used to be a lot easier back in the day to build a brand with a distributor, but today it's a, it's a tough road to hoe. Right, because so they've got limited the space, we, right? They've got limited right. amount of SKUs they can carry. Mm-hmm. They have strategic partnerships with their larger suppliers, and you know, being a one-off brand, it makes it a little difficult. So like 99% of the accounts that you see in our deck you know, both on and off premise were actually done by us and not our distributor. So we finally, you know, came over the hump and they see what the brand is doing and, and, and how the brand sells and, you know, kind of made believers in them now with, with, with the brand. So you get the call from Disney, you, you, you figure out because of your relationships and network, you know, a, a, a potential producer, you win the, uh, I'll call it the taste test. And then how do you go from, hey, we want to go with you guys to, you know, getting product developed and into at least all the Disney locations? Uh, talk about that process. Well, we basically have an importer. You know, we're not importers. So we have an importer. Uh, it's called Park Street. And they handle a lot of brands for for people that, uh, you know, don't have a, a full scale lineup of brands. So they kind of do all the integrated accounting, they do all the managing, they do all the compliance, and you know you have to pay a nominal fee for it, but uh, they kind of do all all the back office work for you. So basically, what we did is, you know, Disney they they were acting currently as our distributor. You know, it was our first one. We didn't even have distributors lined up. You have to go and present to distributors. Uh, so they actually acted as our distributor, and we shipped the product into their warehouse, and they actually delivered it to Disney. Wow. <laughs> you know, that, 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 that kind of was the start. And then we went around, you know, up and down the East Coast of where we've done business before, and we started opening up markets like Massachusetts and New York and Rhode Island and Tennessee, uh, Georgia, South Carolina, uh, mostly all on the, on, on the East Coast. 
Beso de Sol is the number one selling Spanish wine by the glass at restaurants in America today. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, that is. Now, and that's a... Uh, I know one of the comes from bar metrics. Sure. And one of the big challenges I know you, you were sharing with me that you guys had to deal with was getting alignment for all 50 states, right? To get distribution in all 50 states. And you guys did it in record time. Was that because of just having the relationships or product or was it that first customer being Disney? Like what were the triggers behind that? It was actually the second customer that made that happen. Um, here we are with Disney and, and, um, the Worldwide Beverage Director was at a Vibe convention, which is very important beverage executives. It's mostly national accounts that have a convention in Las Vegas every year. And he was a, he was a speaker. He always was a speaker at, uh, at these conventions. And he brought up Sangria, how Sangria has evolved and it's coming back to life and premiumization of Sangria. And, you know, Disney used to make their own sangria. They sold about 300 cases a year. They they used old house wine. They fortified it with brandy or vodka and added fruit juices. But the business really took off when they they changed it and, and basically went with our brand. Now they're going to do over 15,000 cases in a, in a 12-month growing time, which it didn't take away from anything else in that they sell, you know, it didn't take away from soda, it didn't take away from beer. And we're actually the number one menu cocktail. And that's how you have to sell sangria as a cocktail. Wow. Uh, throughout the Disney property. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, okay. So, yeah. and then on packaging, it's interesting. You guys have done the three liter bag and box, which for those who don't know what a bag and box is, it's truly a bag of the product in a box. It's actually what fuels like soda. If you buy a Coke or diet Coke or whatnot at, at most restaurants. But so how did you guys decide to do bag and box? And then also, I know you have the single serve Tetra pack. Well, actually Disney wanted a large format. So we came out with a three liter bag in a box simply uh, for for the most reason is because there's zero waste. The bag in a box lasts for two years unopened, and after you open it, it'll last for six to eight weeks without being refrigerated. It's an oxygen-free bag inside the box, so no air gets in to oxidize the wine. So any on-premise account, when you tell them zero waste, uh, we were the first three-liter box to break through any of the national account on-premise barrier, the first one. So, you know, getting back, I, I got a little sidetracked. Uh, uh, Stewart, who was the, you know, speaking at the Vibe Convention, mentioned about Sangria. And while he was, he didn't mention any brand names, he just mentioned the category. Uh, while he was having dinner, he was sitting next to the buyer for Red Robin, and she asked if uh, he would share his contact with her. So he did. And my partner, uh, Brad, hopped on a plane, went out to Colorado. He met with the Red Robin team. They took the box and, you know, they kind of didn't know much about boxes and they incubated it. They put it out in the sun. They put it in the cold. They, they did everything they could to, <laughs> they to, make, it. to see if it would really work and hold up. Right. And in fact, they actually said after they incubated it, it tastes better than it did from the start, which, <laughs> That's which was crazy. very funny. That's crazy. But yeah. And, um, October of 2014, they contacted us and said, we're going live uh, on, our, on our menus, four menus, and an LPO with your sangria January 1st. Wow. So Red Robin has 560 locations. Yep. They're in 45 states. 
Yep. And we were in 12. <laughs> and to get a distributor to take on a new product uh, in October, November, December is almost impossible. But being it was a national account that they already do business with, we were able to open up basically the entire country because of that. Wow. Unbelievable. Well, and another interesting fact for those that don't know Beso del Sol, uh, and this is an industry fact, right? Um, Larry, fewer than 10% of wine and spirits brands will ever sell 100,000 cases in a year. So like Patron Tequila, it took them 20 years, all right? Everyone knows Patron, to crack 150,000 cases. But you guys, you're shipping 300,000 cases in your fourth year. Correct. That's crazy. And, That's awesome. You know, well, yeah, the big part of that is we were able to, the worldwide beverage director for Disney uh, was a big believer in the brand. So he was there for 17 years. We actually offered him an equity stake to come aboard as a partner, which we didn't think he would take. But he did take it, and he's now one of our partners. And he has a tremendous relationship with these national on-premise accounts, which we were able to secure. And that's that's how you build a brand in the in the wine and spirits business. If you can build it in the on-premise, the off-premise the off-premise retail business will come automatically. Comes along with it. Because Got people it. see it, they know the name, they taste it, they try it, they like it, and then they go look to the stores to buy it. Sure. So what's next? So what's next from a product and brand perspective? Well, we do have the three-liter boxes, uh, red, white, and pink. Our pink is a true uh, rosé made from 100% Tempranillo grapes. Uh, we do have 1.5-liter bottles. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of that, but we have 1.5 liter bottles. They're, they're mostly sold in the independent liquor stores, not in the big chains, but the independent liquor stores and kind of local uh, grocery chains. We do have the Tetra Packs, which you know, uh, we are the only sangria from Spain and 500 ml Tetra Pack in the United States of America. So that size actually is really starting to take off. Uh, right now, alternative packaging is 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 really uh, going off the charts. We're currently right now looking into doing a four pack of cans. The the cans are are uh, of wine are really taking off now as well. And we just launched a, a sparkling white, which it's not a sangria; it's a sparkling white uh, made in Spain. It has the same flavorings as our white sangria, peach and mango, but it's seventy percent drier. And it's ten and a half percent alcohol. Wow! So it's almost like a little bit of a flavored sparkling wine. Sure. And we did the same thing with a sparkling rosé, which uh, has the same flavorings as our rosé sangria: peach, mango, lemon, orange, and a touch of cinnamon. And again, it's seventy percent drier and ten and a half percent alcohol. And we just really started with that, so don't really have a handle on how it's uh, uh, pulling at retail. They're just you know, kind of getting underway the past few months of getting sure. distribution out in the market. Sure. Well, that's that's just exciting. Um, and it's in, I, I just love how you guys leaned into like the things you're best at. Like, you know, the industry, you know, the the people that can can work the process, the supply chain pieces, the producers you had. I mean, and then to have a customer to come on is so key in terms of launching. And, I, and that's obviously triggered your momentum. Um, Talk about a couple of the lessons learned. I mean, you know, launching and, and, and getting going this quickly comes with lots of lessons learned, right? So share a couple of those with our audience. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, uh, 
Yeah, share. Yeah, share a couple of the lessons learned that have come along with launching the business over the last five years. Well, the the lessons learned are are, are basically it's a uh, it's a tough road to hoe. You uh, have to have uh, relationships with, not only with your distributors but also relationships with on premise and off premise accounts. I mean, what's been our biggest challenge right now is we're trying to get listed in these off from this big grocery change and you know it, it becomes very difficult when you go up uh to present you're really not allowed to present your distributor has to present for you and you know when they have uh, other large suppliers and we're just a only a one-off brand it becomes comes a little difficult so i mean that's kind of one of the biggest challenges uh that that we face but we're slowly getting it done i mean we're in uh uh, major chains, uh, uh, Publix, uh, over in Florida, uh, Georgia, Tennessee, South Carolina, Alabama, uh, North Carolina. We're in the Meyer chain in the, in the Midwest. We're in Food Lion. We're in Giant. We're in Safeway Northern Cal. We're in Safeway Arizona. So, I mean, the off-premise business is starting to come. But it's just uh, a point, too, that uh, the grocery chains do a three-liter box. And a lot of it is educating the consumer on a three-liter box. Right. They may not be in the habit of buying it or know, you know, about that product. Correct. And, you know, I've done several tastings uh, myself rather than a tasting company because I'd like to see the consumer reactions and questions and, and, and concerns. And uh, a lot of them were not familiar, you know, with a three-liter box. It, it, it became all about education. But, you know, things are evolving and people are realizing now that, that quality wines used to be back in the day, uh, you know, was cheap wine like Almaden and Engelnook and uh, right. uh, things that came in, in boxes. But, you know, now premium wines, you know, like Black Box and Boda Box and, uh, you know, Basil come in boxes and people are realizing what a value it is. I, absolutely. Well, and I know you also mentioned, I, I think this is an interesting lesson learned you mentioned to me earlier, which was, if you say you're a premium product, be a premium product. So talk about that one. Okay. Well, most sangrias today are, are loaded with sugar. Uh, their alcohol content does vary and they're, bl- they're mostly blended. And a lot of them are made in California. To be a true authentic sangria, and this is by European law, which passed five years ago over in Europe, the grapes have to come from Spain or Portugal. I don't think or I knew that. Call wow. it sangria. I did not yeah. know that. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, years ago they did that with, with uh, champagne over in Europe, that if the grapes were from the Champenois, it couldn't be called champagne, it had to be called sparkling wine. And that did resonate to the United States. Uh, if this will, I, I really don't know. But we're a true authentic sangria. We're made, we're bottled, we're packaged in Spain. We're premium as we're probably the only 100% grape varietal in in all of our products, 100% natural and gluten-free, which no other sangria really has that. And we don't add sugar, you know, like uh, traditional sangria. So we're not super sweet in taste. So you'll get a, tra- uh, uh, a traditional sangria drinker that might come and try yours and says, that's good, but it tastes a little bitter to me because it doesn't have all, ah, it doesn't have all the sugar in it. But, yep. but then you'll get somebody who drinks a Cabernet or a Merlot. No, no, I don't drink sangria. It's too sweet. I just try it. 
And when I, wow, this is pretty good. You know, it's not super overly sweet. Got it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Nice differentiator. Well, Larry, before we go, uh, you mentioned where our audience can find your products. Where can they find you online and learn more about the product? They can find us at uh, www.basodelsoulsangria.com. Oh, very simple. I love it. I am so glad you came on the podcast. I love the product. I'm, I'm super excited. I mean, it, you think about where you are today and the potential for growth in this product. I mean, across so many on-premise accounts that you're just not in today, right? I mean, that's just, it's, it, it's an exciting opportunity. Yes, it is. <laughs> it it awesome. sure is. And we, we came a long way really quick and we continue to grow. We're having a record year so far this year as well. That's awesome. Well, Larry, thank mm-hmm. you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. Okay, Justin, thank you very much. Appreciate it. The Contender Cast is powered by Symmetrics Group and the Bunnell Idea Group. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at ContenderBrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. Contender.